Hi, you're listening to Yellow Glitter, a podcast on mindfulness through the eyes and soul of a gay Asian. I'm your host, Stephen Wakabayashi, and you're listening to a very special episode for this month of February on love, queer Asian love. In this episode, I'm joined by my friend Derek. Hi, Derek. Hello. Hi. Hi, listeners. How are you? Derek Tran, he him his, is a gay second-generation Vietnamese-American entrepreneur residing in Los Angeles. His interests include mindfulness, fitness, environmental sustainability, and has been an integral part of the LA Gaijin scene for more than 20-plus years. Wow, that's a long time. (laughs) (laughs) I came out very young, okay? Yeah, and... Before we get into it, I just wanted to kind of talk a little bit about uh, what you're doing in Los Angeles, right? So I know you are doing all these different projects, and I'm just curious, you know, what do you do? What do you do in LA right now? Um, I own a massage shop. Oh, technically I own two in Los Angeles, one in Oaks and one in Calabasas. Um, I've been doing that for about 10 years now. And I have a hand in a few other things, but we'll see in the next coming months. So ah, stay tuned, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. How did you How did you get into that? Um, it's kind of those midlife crisis kind of things where you kind of go through a thing after you know going through school, going through relationships in your mid twenties, and realize you know. I want to do something else. I want to be happier. So um, I jumped into this and, you know, honestly has kept me happy for a very long time. So I'm going to keep on doing it. Yeah. Yeah. What do you enjoy uh, about it? What keeps you happy about it? Aside from just um, connection, I, I really do feel that um, the intimacy that comes with like personal touch can come from massage as well. And it sounds strange, but like it really I really do see a difference between seeing someone come in and come out of a massage and I can see them, you know, be a little bit happier. And I really do feel that connects with mindfulness, meditation, massage, all all that is kind of has a hand together. So um, doing my part to just make people a little less stressed and happier every day. Yeah, yeah. And I had a chance to go with you to your massage shop when I was back in LA. Yeah. And it was just so amazing. I think, you know, everyone there is really happy and the services are so amazing. And I walked out feeling so amazing. And yeah, it's just amazing. You've been able to create that kind of space in Los Angeles and you have two locations actually, right? It's not just one location. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is amazing. How did, how did the second location come about? Um, you know, just planning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think as you, as you get older, you just need yeah. to be able to have, you know, a few, a few different routes of success. So, you know, like uh, the second location came about with, let's see, uh, six years ago now. Um, I've had this location 10 years and next month is going to be 11 years. So I just need to expand a little bit. Yeah. You're going to take over Los Angeles and every massage shop <laughs> in Los Angeles. Wow. Just doing my part, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so your family's also in Los Angeles, right? Yes. I'm born and raised here. Yeah. Born and raised in LA. So how did your family end up in LA? Who was the one that ended up coming here? So you are second generation, right? So that means your parents yes. were the one that came over here. So how did they end yeah. up here in America from Vietnam? It's really interesting story because um, I think it's a little different from normal Vietnamese refugee um, mentality or stories because my father actually came here before the war mm. to study. Mm. And so technically, yeah, like, so like that's very different from most Vietnamese Americans, which is, you know, like the refugee story, which my mother and my all my siblings, half siblings, have the same story. So they came here after, you know, the fall of Ho Chi Minh, and they settled in San Gabriel Valley. Yeah. And, you know, like, we just decided that wasn't the area for us, so we decided to move to um, yeah. North Los Angeles. Yeah. 
and we're very happy here. Yeah. Do you have any insight into what was not good about San Gabriel Valley? Because I know that it's become this huge, booming Asian population now, right?、Mm-hmm. I'm curious what made your family shift from there over to Los Angeles. <laughs> it's it's really interesting because my mother has always had a、um, determination to for individuality, and she felt that when we were pushed into areas that were s- way too similar to who we are or our upbringings, it made us kind of assimilate. So she decided to move a little further away, and that's when she met my father, and we really settled down here. And、uh, I really. Enjoy because I do feel I'm a little different. I guess. Yeah, yeah. How so? How how are you different? Um, I think I've, cause you know, there's there's certain areas of de facto segregation where you grow people with your, you know, similar race,、mm-hmm. similar、uh, backgrounds.、Ah, so it's like a mix, like a melting pot. Yeah. Yes. Um. But those areas also, you you also have the option of being able to take from your own culture and taking from the culture that at large. But、um, I was kind of thrown into a larger melting pot, and you know, there's not many Vietnamese people, but there are a lot of Caucasians, Latinos, Blacks, Filipinos. So I I had a very mixed upbringing. So I really appreciate it, actually, even though I did miss. I I really did miss out on growing up with a lot of Asians, which yeah. yeah. And how was that like? So, growing up in a neighborhood where you're one of the few Asians, if not the only Vietnamese person in the circle around you, how was that like? It it was a growing experience. I will say that I think a lot of Vietnamese or Asian Americans in general, growing up in America in a very diverse、uh, background will feel, you know, they like they need to assimilate that they need to like kind of give up on their values or who they are as a person. And I did feel that for many many years. So you know, it's it's a regular process a lot of us go through. But eventually, I did find my way back and find that pride in who I am and where I come from and my peers. So I'm, yeah, I'm very proud of that. To be honest, yeah, it's a kind of this like shedding as a part of trying to assimilate, right? You are in this world where even like right now, it's only five percent of America is Asian, right?、Mm-hmm. And all around you, in commercials, in Billboard banners and even like the digital ads you see on Facebook, Twitter, everything—all of that is, I mean, it's much better now. But back then, it used to be just all white people, you know.、Mm-hmm. And you have not only white people out there in front of you that you see every single day, but you also have their values, right? And it's almost like, well, if I want to get to there one day and if I want to be successful, I gotta do that. I gotta be like that. You know, I definitely feel the pain too. Where I was growing up, and you have this one Asian part of you, but because we don't see it in media, it's like there is no place of Asian、There's、people no in media. There's no representation. Yes,、mm-hmm. exactly. And so, my next question is kind of you mentioned like you came back, you built this Vietnamese pride after trying to assimilate. Where was that turning point for you? I think it really was in my mid twenties where you realize that your sense of identity really is solidified in your mid twenties to your early thirties, and you really find a way to come to terms with who you are and where you come from. And I think that had I given more leeway to like that side of me, where kind of gave up. That's out of me. Like I would not be the person that I am, and I really wanted to really come to fruition of, you know, like the long history of where I came from, and you know, my parents and my mom, you know, my brothers and sisters. Actually, you know what? It, it was really my first trip back to Vietnam that really kind of made me see, like, you know, I really do feel like I belong here. Like, you know, there's always that sense of like. 
you know, I'm a little different, but I really did feel a sense like of belonging there. And so I kind of brought that back here to the US. Mm. A sense of pride. Yeah. And have your other family members, have they been very prideful about the Vietnamese culture or have other people kind of shed and assimilate into white American culture as well? We've held our own. I will say that. Um, I am very thankful to my brothers and sisters and my mother having, you know, having deep rooted values in being who we are and also like accepting the American culture as well. So. Yeah. And are you the youngest? Oldest? I am the youngest. Youngest. The baby. I'm the baby of five. Wow. Yeah. And so you went back to Vietnam and I'm curious, a lot of Asian Americans, they go back to their heritage, right? Their country where their family was born from. And sometimes the people in these countries don't see you as Asian. They see you as American. And I'm curious if that happened to you too when you went back to Vietnam for the first time. I felt like Godzilla, to be honest with you. <laughs> I would... Because, li- you know, as a Vietnamese yeah. person, I am a little bit on the larger side. So I would literally walk down the street and I would tell my mother, like, Mom, why is everyone looking at me? And at one point, I told her, like, oh, you know what? Let me pick up something from this cart here. And she saw the way I the people looked at me and it, it was... Yes. I felt like, you know, like someone... <laughs> Like Godzilla, basically. Yeah, I mean, the average height is much shorter than America mm-hmm. across most of Asia, but you definitely see it when you go to, you know, when I went to Thailand and, yeah, also Vietnam, but Thailand, I noticed it because I'm not, you know, I'm I'm tall, but I'm not like six feet tall. I'm like 5'9", five, 5'10", five, on a good day. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I just tower above everyone in certain parts mm-hmm. of Thailand. And I'm like, oh, this is very interesting. And you're a little taller than me too, huh? Mm-hmm. So I definitely, bit. yeah, I definitely can see. So, you know, but aside yeah. from the physicality, um, there was like social differences as well. And, it, and they were very accepting of it. So I was very appreciative of that. Ah. And what, what social differences do you think stood out the most? I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> <laughs> but there there yeah. was there was a distinct difference. Yeah. For me it's uh especially from Japanese culture, right? The what my Japanese side. It's uh, around being kind of outspoken, which stands mm-hmm. out societally um when I am very in a restaurant stoic or yeah, people. yeah, very stoic and also you don't really you're not really taught to say what you're thinking. You know, mm-hmm. and so whenever I go back to Japan and I'm just very, first of all, I'm very outspoken about my emotions, right? Like if I'm really happy, I'm really happy. And if I'm really upset, I'm like, kind of like, I'm not happy. But mm-hmm. that takes some, that kind of shocks some people in Japan. They're like, oh, wow, he's emotional. <laughs> but that's also something they can learn from. Definitely, definitely. And then, you know, even with that, it's sometimes if, uh, let's say, for example, my family and I are at a restaurant in Japan and we got the wrong food, right? Mm -hmm. Just being able to voice that and being able to say, hey, you know, this isn't, you know, something, something, even stuff like that, I've noticed uh, they're taken aback a little by. They're like, oh, I mean, they'll fix it, but it's almost this communication of being really upfront and frank of even the smallest things, especially because I'm Japanese, that Mm -hmm. I think is this disconnect. And they definitely treat, you know, white people very differently, right? It's like, oh yeah, of course, you're going to be like that since you're white, you're not Asian. Mm -hmm. But I found that because I speak Japanese and I present as Japanese, they sometimes are taken aback by these things, this American culture that I've inherited over so many years. Yeah. So my question to you is, when did you realize you were different from everyone else? When did you realize you were gay? I knew that I was different in preschool, but it wasn't until I saw like a gay parade. I think it was on the news when I was in second or third grade. And I realized my mother talking about it. And, you know, I saw these people, these men, 
just loving each other and just being different. And I realized that I wanted to be, that was me. I didn't, I didn't know how to get there or how it would come to fruition, but I knew that was where I wanted to be or who I wanted to be with. And so um, it was really that turning point where I realized, hey, I was interested in men. And, you know, it developed over years because back then the gay life was a little bit more taboo Taboo. Mm -hmm. and a little bit more secretive. And, you know, it really bloomed as I got older. Mm. And how has the Asian community responded to you being gay? Girl, I was there from the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) How has the Vietnamese uh, family side responded to you being gay? Um, a lot more accepting than I would say that a lot of people are. I mean, at the very beginning, I was, you know, the black sheep. Um, I think at this point, I'm really the entertainment of the family now the unicorn not the black sheep but you're the unicorn exactly another (laughs) not quite farmyard more like running on a rainbow (laughs) yeah and how how has the um and on the flip side of that question is how has the queer community responded to you being asian or how has it being asian in the queer community it's changed a lot to be honest with you um it because it it was such a niche group before and you know a lot a lot of us do become assimilated into larger sets of groups but i do feel that we hold our own now because we have such a large strong community here and you know we're we make an impact and i think a lot of us should be proud of that and if if you don't know where we came from, I don't think you can be as proud, but I do see it that, you know, we're represented now. People, we're not just this little group of people that, you know, can be just sloughed off so easily and not spoken to. We, we're power players here. Uh, yep. Showing up, being a part of the community and representing. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so you wrote in your bio that you've been a part of the LA Gaijin scene for quite some time. And I'm just, <laughs> yeah, quite some time. It was a 40 years, yeah. <laughs> it's 20 years this year. Yeah, wow. And I'm just curious, what has changed over the years in Los Angeles in that scene? You know, when I first started out, it was in its infancy, and we really created a culture where... Um, you know, we were really kind of a niche group and, you know, a niche group, part of like uh, the larger gay community at large. And, you know, there, there are certain clubs like Rage Game Boy and, that have created a safe space for us and a larger group. Like, you know, just some place in West Hollywood where in the larger space of the gay world where we feel comfortable and has allowed us to flourish and really like spread out from there, which I'm really proud of. Actually. I'm really happy about that. That's, I think a lot of people underestimate what's done for West Hollywood and the gay community at large. Like, you know, I even, for example, when I was in Vietnam at a gay club, someone said to me like, Hey, are you Derek from like Game Boy Rage? No, I will in never, Vietnam. In Vietnam, I will never <laughs> forget that. I Bible, Bible. I hate to be Kardashian, but oh. Bible. I swear on that. How do they so, know? Like, yeah. Let's just say I've been around for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like how how did you react to that? Yeah, you're like okay, hi, stunned. <laughs> I will say shocked, stunned, yeah. flattered, everything. And was this at a, at a gay club in Vietnam? It was. The world is so small. But along with that, do you find the Gaijin scene in Los Angeles to be very small? It is. Mm. Well, again, uh, we are a niche. We're a much larger niche than when I first started out. But um, in terms of like 
connecting with each other and being um, socially connected. Like it's, it's very different now. Um, uh, what do you think has changed? Social media, a lot of it. Um, uh, it, it makes the world a lot smaller. Everyone yeah. knows each other or yeah. knows of each other at this point. So yeah. it's easier. And at the same time, it's a lot harder. Okay. What's, what's easy about it and what's hard. <laughs> You don't have to introduce yourself. <laughs> uh, yeah, your reputation oh, precedes you. Yeah, it really does, especially with the social media being the way it is and the impact that it has. So, like, people see you, especially in um, metropolitan cities like Los Angeles. So everyone knows each other. Uh, yeah, and what's difficult? Dating. Oh, that's always difficult. <laughs> <laughs> Especially it's, in Los yeah. Angeles, where there, it's a constant like lazy Susan of personalities coming in from different countries and different mm. uh, cities. Yeah, almost like the major metropolitan cities, you just have all these people's people coming in and out. But but surprisingly, they're usually the same type of people, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, and so. This takes me to our, this takes us to the conversation now about love, queer Asian love. And I'm just curious. Love. <laughs> our favorite topic. So, what is your stance on it? Are you looking right now? Are you hunting? What are you doing in love right now? I'm very happily single. Um, I think. It's, it is very difficult to find love here in Los Angeles and I'm very actually happy working on myself and because I, I think you and I are in a very similar mind frame where if it's not amazing or substantial, then it's not really for us right now. So, you know, I'm all about love, but currently I love myself, you know, that's amazing. And how do you, how do you think you got there? a lot of struggle <laughs> which you know is is a common truth for a lot of us so uh you know i reached that point where you kind of kind of look in the mirror and just see yourself and see the man standing in front of you and realize that you can be happier you can be better and um i think i really wanted to find a route to get there and you know there's a lot of distractions out there amongst gays, which is, you know, boys, booze. Those are a lot of distractions. So right now, um, those distractions are less important to me. Mm. And has there been a specific event or a specific something that happened in your life that kind of made you go, oh, okay, let me, let me, let me look outside of it. Let me see something different with my relationship with myself and love. I think there was a really dark period for me. And so I, a lot of us go through that. And once I reached this point where I was kind of looking at myself like, you know, maybe the way I was living was not what I wanted. And so that's when I kind of rose, you know? Uh, you, you just find a route to to really make yourself happier and make the people around you happier. Yeah, what were you struggling with the most during those times? I think a, a lot of us struggle with with this identity in terms of um, you know social media is very much a large part of it, and it interconnects with love. It, it interconnects with who we are as Gaijin people because um, it wasn't only recently that we do see influencers that are Asian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like not necessarily the most positive, or you know, like for me, I'm I feel like I'm a little bit more nuanced than that, and you know, like I. I respect people that want to be in a speedo on the beach, but that's not me. And I do feel like that is the paradigm right now, that that is the pinnacle of what you should strive for. And I want to let people know you maybe, you know, find a different route. 
find that area of life that makes you happy and that's not necessarily for everyone yeah 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 and 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 the social media platforms also play into it too you know where you have like let's say for example twitter versus instagram right twitter Mm -hmm. is really based on what you write you know it's not really Mm -hmm. image you can post images you can post video but it's really about what you write right you can't have a post without any text in it you know Mm -hmm. i mean technically you have like a link to something else but anyway so instagram is based on images right you cannot make a post without an image and so with that what what are the implications with having images it's very superficial right yes it's very much whatever shiny is going to be you know the one that the thing that people click on the most people look at the most and of course it's going to end up in these destination villas in the maldives or somebody who has a 10 pack of abs you know because mm-hmm. uh, it's not real life and when it comes to images we're interested in things that we don't see often mm-hmm. and so because culturally we have just you know which is that we derive as special or different yes. or better than us yes. and yeah. that's that's a real issue with social media nowadays yeah yeah what what can we do about that then in social media i hate to bring it back to grinder but yeah. um when when the when the creator of Grinder was actually questioned of what Grinder was to him, he just left it as a platform for however people wanted to use it. And so, you know, like as Grinder, that's a hookup app. Yeah. And for yeah. you can liken that to Instagram because like that's a platform that we can use however we want. We can market whatever we want. We can connect yeah. however we want. And so, because you know, it's it's a very superficial world, and I do feel that a lot of us are waking up to the fact that there's something beyond that, that we can use this platform as something else, as a way to connect with people, a, a way to really be mindful, be a little bit more aware, and, you know, just be a little bit more centered and love people a little bit more, uh, opposed to... Or, you know, even loving yourself because, you know, Instagram's about loving other people when it comes, when it comes down to it, it's either loving other people or loving yourself in a very superficial way. Yes. And it's also, you know, it's like this taboo where it's like, if you hit, you know, double tap your own image, it's like, why are you like your own image? It's like, no, why aren't you liking your own image? Right. Yeah, exactly. It's like, uh, Everyone should at least be liking their own image to begin with. It, it, yeah. It's all other people. It's all what everyone else is doing. And it's never bringing you back to yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. And the only time you see your feed is ever, you know, it's to look at comments of other people, right? It's to mm-hmm. see, you know, like even in the home feed, for example, you only see yourself there only right after you post. But aside from that, you never mm-hmm. ever see yourself. And so it's always a living for other people. And so I'm all, I'm, I'm super curious about this. Mm. Like, what are your thoughts on the, these hookup apps, these dating apps? You know, like it's, it's a great way to connect with people, but I do feel a lot of us use it as almost as a crutch to kind of, you know, it's a crutch to, to really quell either loneliness or issues we're having in our everyday life. Uh, And, you know, like I'm a very sex positive person, have sex, you know, it's a great thing, be safe. But at the same time, a lot of these apps do tap into a part of us that is very empty. I do feel. And um, it's, it's very addictive. It's, it's like a drug. So I do see a lot of people just hopping on there and just wanting to hook up. And, you know, there's there's a lot more than that. It's you, it, There's some delayed gratification as well. You know, you, you don't necessarily need to hop on these apps. And I'm not putting it down in any way. But, you know, there's, there's a lot more out there for people. Yeah. Yeah, I was uh, on the subway the other day and I was literally i was standing and i wasn't looking for anything in particular but this guy was using grinder 
while he was sitting on the chair. And so it was in full view of my eyes. And I was just like, okay, this is really fascinating. Like I, I can see everything he's doing on Grindr right now. And <laughs> he was just swiping through all these dick pics, looking at all these different profiles. And I was like, this is like, is he aware? What, <laughs> what is he even doing right now? And I was like, huh, it's just, because, you know, it just becomes so second nature now, you know, mm-hmm. to do all these things, even in public. And I see so many people posting their screenshots on these dating apps, on social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, and uh, even, even, even the conversations, very intimate, even deep conversations too. And I'm just really curious where this is all going to go. I'm very guilty of that. You know, it's 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 a very easy thing to to make entertainment out of these conversations because a lot of times either they're very entertaining or they're just not. And so I think I was really into it at one point, but I realized a lot of this was um, based on shaming people. Yes. Yeah. You know, like, oh, what does this do? Why is he messaging me so many times? Things like that. Or just like, oh, why is he socially awkward? And, you know, it's there's a reason why these private conversations are private. Yeah. Um, yeah. It does connect us to a larger audience, but I think we as people should also hold ourselves accountable for these conversations because, you know, like these are people too. They're not just like names or faces in this void that we don't know. They're, they're real people as well. Yeah, totally, totally. And, you know, I don't think there's a single person who can say that they've never been shamed for anything that they've done in the past. Oh, of course. (laughs) Yeah. We all have. We all have. And what keeps them, you know, tied to a community or what keeps them, coming back to society are the people that believe in them right believe in us and i think as much as it feels good to shame people we kind of have to take a step back and look at the bigger picture of what are we trying to accomplish Mm -hmm. by doing this you know and who are you impressing yeah yeah who are you entertaining and you know it's not necessarily again like if you really look i think there was a moment last year where i asked why and why is a very very impactful question if you ask it of everything you do everything you think and every interaction that you have and when you actually dive deeper into these whys you really come to a sense of like maybe i shouldn't be doing this maybe maybe the entertainment value that i'm getting from this or giving to people isn't necessarily something that is impacting my life in a positive way or impacting these people in a positive Mm, way mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah and on the apps too no fats no femmes no asians it's such a popular and is still a popular thing people are posting in their profiles right Uh, very popular and so my question to you is how do you feel about the people who say well that's just a preference that's just my preference oh that's such a loaded question (laughs) (laughs) it's it it, girl i feel like that's a whole episode that you need to work on on itself but like it really comes down to like can you really judge what you're attracted to off of the skin color of this race like based on you know each culture has millions if not billions with asians um of people so you can say that you're not attracted to this one person but not attracted to this entire race that is based in racism yeah yeah yeah, you're right. Asians is Asians comprise sixty percent of world population, mm-hmm. and so you're saying if the world population is seven point eight billion people, that's three point nine billion people you've mm, judged that's a lot of, exactly <laughs> that you're not attracted to. <laughs> that's a lot of people you're not attracted to. Good luck. <laughs> good luck finding someone. <laughs> Same. Yeah. <laughs> and you know. Uh, uh, and it's so funny because 
you know, a lot of the people, like on the flip side, right? So let's think about the people who say only Asians, right? There are those people who are the people who only date Asian people, the rice queens, right? Which is very pervasive. Is Are, are rice queens good for the community? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're going from one type of problematic to a different kind of problematic. Yeah, though. yeah. These ends of the you know, spectrum, yeah. Yes, um, I that is left up to other people to decide. But I do feel that um, it does go back to another type of racism, yeah. fetishism. Yep, yep. You Racial know, you're fetishism. Exactly. A, a certain, just because my eyes look a certain way, you're attracted to it. Just like if you're racist, just because my eyes are a certain way, you don't like me. They're two sides to the same coin. Yeah. As if almost you can determine my personality based on my skin color, right? Mm-hmm. Like based on my eyes, shape, size, color. Somehow you know me, which makes no sense, mm-hmm. right? Because again, 3.9 billion Asians and, you know, just because I look a certain way, I will act that way. It's, it's the same thing. Um, I do feel it can be problematic to the community because I do feel that a lot of, you know, being Asian in America, you, you lose a sense of identity. So a lot of times you, you know, Asian Americans, we're the quote unquote model minority. The reason why is because we do strive to these ideals that have been put forth by Caucasians, you know, like, which is, found in america well like which is perfectly understandable but at the same time like you are kind of giving up yourself and allowing these people to really kind of use you up because a lot of these rice queens do use people up and yeah yeah and have you faced any of this personally these experiences being either of course yes how was that of course it was it wasn't fun. I, uh, I think I learned early on that that wasn't for me. That I wasn't this object to because I came from a very different. You know, I I grew up with a lot of white people. I grew up with these people where it made me feel that I was different, and so I I had that um, critique of being made feel a little too special by Uh, certain people yeah yeah for not the right reasons exoticized yeah exactly Mm. Uh, it doesn't feel good and you know uh, i know because i've been following you for quite some time now and i've seen on your social media you've been on this big journey not just mentally with mindfulness but with your body as well You've really transformed your body over the years that I've known you. And I'm just curious, what has that been like for you? It's been an interesting journey. Um, uh, I think you're really, I really focused on myself because, you know, it's very connected to social media and how you present yourself is how you attract people, how um, you market yourself. And so, you know, I worked on myself. I've seen a lot more um, interactions, but at the same time, you are disillusioned by it as well. Could you explain to the listeners kind of where you were at and then where you kind of like your body journey? What has that been? Um, So in my lifetime, I've kind of gone through, you know, obesity to like being fit obesity being fit and you know being childhood obesity to well into adulthood i was obese i I think my heaviest i was like 240 pounds yeah 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 and now i'm about 170 so um wow that's a whole person almost it's 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 basically a third grader um so um so it, it wasn't really me trying to work on my body it was really just uh, working on myself as a whole and of course your body is part of it so um i think it really was more of the mindful journey that i worked on and i think i saw this quote uh, once 
you kind of let go of personal pains, you see physical changes. And honestly, the physical changes really came with the mindfulness. It was it was it was a secondary um, side effects or benefit. So it's you know it's I'm not hating on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And how has the community around you reacted to your body image changing? Oh, hey, girls! <laughs> it's like, oh, hey, there yeah. you are. <laughs> it, yeah. it it was really funny because um, you know I as I said, I went from like being fit to not fit to fit again. And so the last five years I wasn't so fit. And so I almost felt invisible. You know, I was there, but like, it wasn't so, um, I wasn't recognized as much. I wasn't said hello to as much. And I think really when the body transformation happened, um, there was a lot more attention, but at the same time, because I went on a mindful trip before that, this attention isn't as important to me. And, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's nice, but I'm just glad to be healthy. I'm glad to have a body yeah. that works. That's all. Yeah. A lot of people go through the same things and they may not even have had this spectrum of going from one body type to another, but I can definitely attest to, you know, for me, it hasn't been my weight, but more so my acne. It was so bad to a point where people called me pepperoni face and people would give me all mm. these like unsolicited, the unsolicited like tips was the worst. I don't know if you got that, but it's like, here, you know, you could do this to like clear up your skin. You could do this. And uh, I was like, um, I've done that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Have you gotten those unsolicited advice too as you were navigating I, body? I think we all have at the yeah. gym. Maybe you want to try it this way. Maybe you want to try this diet. Maybe you want to do oh keto. Maybe you want to do vegetarian. You know, it's also, I live in Los Angeles. So, oh, yeah, yeah, so that yeah. image, you're constantly commented on that every single day. So wow. it's, we've all been there here. Yeah, yeah. Has there any been like the most jarring comment where you're like, um, did you really just say that? Not in terms of weight, but I, someone, someone I was dating who I stopped dating after that would, did tell me that I need Botox in certain areas. What? Uh, yeah. And I, I have pretty good skin. I'm just saying, I'm just throwing out there. I don't have bad skin. No, you look but like, like you're so fact, young. Yeah. Just the fact that like this person would have the gall of dating me and telling me like I need to improve myself like you know like uh, superficiality like like I get it like if they they told me something that I need to improve myself that would be aside from that I would understand I would take that to heart but this was very very superficial and you know like all of it is like you know from your spectrum the pepperoni face to me being fat you know like it's all superficial it doesn't really add to anything else aside from something nice to look at why why do you think people say these things these like comments to like it's like do they think they're helping where do you think it comes from i do feel like people are trying to help um i think it's just they don't have the best route of being able to message that to the person. Yeah, I, I would understand if, you know, you were saying, yeah, you know, you voiced some things about Botox maybe here and there, and then they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I looked this up in the newspaper, but if it's just out of the blue, it's almost very questionable where it's coming from, right? It's like, have mm -hmm. you been thinking about this this entire time we've been dating, mm -hmm. you know? And I think it shines more light into them and their character more so than what they're recommending you to do mm -hmm. yeah i agree yeah and i'm curious so we talked about kind of the spectrum of asian exotification versus the um like the shunning of asians and dating here in america how has your experience been like dating here in america do you think uh, it's been easy, difficult? I will say it was probably more difficult than I would say. 
Um, if I, I do feel like if I were Caucasian, I think I wouldn't face the, obviously I wouldn't face the no femmes, fats, Asians, whatever. But it really did come back to a sense of community amongst Asians. That's where I really found, um, relief. Cause I, I'm, I don't have racial hangups. Um, you know, I've dated outside my race and I'm fine with that, but you do feel a sense of belonging with people that you don't have to explain yourself to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that is true you know you were raised with one type of culture and it's pretty ingrained into you you know it's like blood mm -hmm. and i'm wondering how have they helped guide you you know like has it been a specific person more than a group has it been a group that's really helped you the most what's really you know kind of gotten you to where you are today in that community um so because i grew up with um you know, not necessarily um, Asian background. Once I did jump into the gay, the gay scene, it was mostly Gaysians. And they really did help me find my place and find basically a home. And I'm really thankful for that. Because um, that part of my identity, I'm very proud of. Um, being... You know, Gaijin in Los Angeles, it's it's a lot easier than, say, being Gaijin in Ohio or being Gaijin wherever else. Um, you do find people that understand you and see you. And, you know, dating here outside of your race is a little bit easier, but I will say it's not that easy. You do face, you know, racism, you do face certain stereotypes. Um, and, you know, even even amongst the community, like if you date outside of Gaysia as a whole, like people do look at you with a little bit of judgment or just who are you dating? Why are you dating them? Yeah, it's kind of this split audience, right, in the Gaysian community mm -hmm. where there are the people who are very open and adamant about being open to it but it seems like there's a community within the gaijin community who are very against it you know regardless of whether you have maybe you know dated them since god knows when but they're almost like see you as a traitor you know mm -hmm. oh definitely i've seen it what, what why do you think that is like why do you think people have these beliefs Especially in America, how, you know, we're, again, it goes back to being a minority, but a lot of us face the same kind of racism, stereotypes, and we, we fall into this group where, like, you know, we're in this group because we're protecting each other and we're, we understand each other. And so you, when you do see this person go outside of your group, we automatically descend upon it and attack it because it's yeah. different. It's, uh, it's you know different. like yeah it's different that, that's really interesting it is it's different and different can be good and different can be bad and i'm just wondering you know how how do we navigate this you know this exotification of us queer asians asians this difficulty with navigating love what where do we go what do we do I think the main point is this person should be attracted to you for who you are opposed to what you are. Uh, that's, I mean, I, I don't think it's any more difficult than that. You know, like they like you for you, not just because you're part of a certain culture or a certain race. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's almost rebalancing your priorities, right? Mm -hmm. Where you can only prioritize certain things. You can't prioritize everything. You know, and some people prioritize race, some people prioritize body, and mm -hmm. people should be prioritizing really the way this person treats you, you know, and how might it align to the way you treat them, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, they got to love you the way you should love yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You have to love and if you me. don't love yourself, you shouldn't be in a relationship. <laughs> love yourself oh first saying putting out there yeah so let me ask you what what made you realize you really loved yourself like was there a moment in time when you're like oh i didn't really enjoy myself 
myself, I've always put out this image of like that. I love myself that, you know, I was number one priority that uh, I, I actually used to say, um, you know, it's Derek's show. <laughs> um, it's a Derek show. So either I'm, I'm the star. You are either supporting a character. co-star. <laughs> Uh, exactly a guest star like a background actor or something like that and i think there was really a point last year where i dived deeper into myself and really saw that you know i didn't love myself as much as i did i didn't love myself for the things that i need to love myself for and again it really goes into superficiality a lot of us do love ourselves because of the way we look and you know that fades that changes over time and I I really implore people to jump a little deeper into their psyche and really understand why they love themselves and the things they love themselves about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, like, if it's just that, maybe you need to develop other skills and parts of your personality that you should love. Be kinder. Be, you know, be kinder. Be just more empathetic be more connected as a person yeah or even be more creative right grow that be, part of yourself oh for sure yeah be more introspective yeah or be more say? worldly yeah, be, yeah <laughs> just all of that uh, yeah oh my god this is amazing um i have some rapid fire questions for you are you ready Let's go. Okay. So three questions. First one. What do we need more of in love? Empathy. Definitely empathy. Um, I do feel that in terms of love, we... Um, actually, you know what? It, there's this book called The Five Languages of Love. If you really... It's a very popular book and a lot of people have read it, but it really helped me understand love and what people need from it and what I'm giving not, is not necessarily what they need. I do feel like empathy is, is the biggest part because I think a lot of us go into love being very selfish. Mm. Um, we go into it. Oh, me, 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 me. This is what I need. This is what I want. And not necessarily re realizing that, you know, it's, it is a partnership. And you need to be aware of the other person's needs as well. And just because you're giving as much as you can isn't necessarily the way the person needs it oh, that's or wants a really it. Really good point. Yeah. What we need to give is not necessarily what they need to get. Receive. Yes. yes. Yeah. What's your love language? Um quality time uh -huh. and touch uh. to receive but again being gaijin um you know uh, it's a very large part of asian american culture where like acts of service is a yes. big thing that a lot of us give yep cleaning cooking laundry mm -hmm. that's all me yo <laughs> <laughs> i think that's a lot of us because yeah. you know like that's that's how Asian American parents or Asian parents give love in general. They they never really vocalize it, but they show you in saying like, "Hey, did you eat it?" Yeah, yeah. Are you hungry? You know? Right. That's like the one of the first exactly. questions. Like, what have you eaten? Exactly. Right. It's not like, "What have you done today?" Or like, "Who did you hang out with?" It's like, "Are you hungry? Did you eat? Mm -hmm. What did you eat?" And if you've been telling them like, oh, you know, nothing, they go straight to the kitchen, right? Exactly. It's not that. Or another scoop yeah. of rice. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. A scoop of rice, another thing. And it's not that, you know, they don't love you. They love you so much through this love language, you know? It's just a very mm -hmm. way. Oh, that's a really good lesson for, I think, everyone. Okay. Question number two. What do we need less of in love? Comparison. Mm, okay. Um, you need to stop comparing yourself to the person that you're with. You also need to stop comparing yourself to people that this person is hanging out with necessarily or attracted to. You know, like, just this person is with you for a reason. 
they care about you they they want to be with you so um any other distractions should just be that a distraction and you know mute that dissonance basically mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i really like how you said it's just it's a distraction from finding your truth finding your honesty mm-hmm. right your truest self and i always say you know we have so many races we can run right when we focus on mm-hmm. all these different things whether it's academia whether it's capitalism whether it's mindfulness whatever the race is but uh, whenever we compare ourselves and chase after somebody else, we're always going to be second best in their lane, you know? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And until we can break out of it and start seeing that, no, there are billions of different ways and there are billions of different paths to take and they're all just as good as one another, we can finally validate that we are good enough and then find that space for true love of self when we do find the opportunity to do that for ourselves. And then last question is, what is inspiring you lately? Connection. Mm. Um, I did go on this mindfulness journey last year and um, just kind of the energy that I've been putting out, I've been receiving a lot of people that really respect that as well it's also um kind of pushed away people that didn't understand this journey and you know they're on their own path as well so i understand it but like currently i just i just love who i'm connecting with who you know i just feel good with and around yeah yeah and are there any books or resources you'd recommend from this journey of yours, this mindfulness journey? There's a lot of books. <laughs> well, um, well, um, The Five Languages of Love is great. Um, as a gay man in a certain socioeconomic, you know, part of the latter, uh, I do feel that The Velvet Rage was a great book because it really explores um, shame in terms of, you know, there's a lot of shame. Like we're talking about Gaysians in America. There's, there's a lot of shame there. So, um, or just being shameful as a gay person in a straight world, which is the real subject of this book. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's a great book. Wow. And I know you also started Headspace, the app a little bit ago. Oh, it's a great app. Yeah. Yeah. And you were talking about on your social media the meditation app i know where a lot a lot of us are very busy so meditation is one of those things where you really have to like take time sit down and realize this is self-care and as an app it really helps with you know just your intention even setting how long you want to meditate it's it's a great thing and it really has brought me a lot of peace and clarity in my everyday life so there's anxiety is gone you know there's there's a lot of things that you can really again distractions there's a lot of distractions out there that you can kind of push away with meditation Mm -hmm. and not focus on Mm -hmm. so much yeah 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 amazing well thank you so much for coming on of course any last words of wisdom for our listeners any advice just find a way to love people or, and respect them. I, in any capacity that you can, I think um, love is one of those things where it's not a finite thing. There's always more of it within yourself. And if you doubt that, just, just imagine your worst breakup yeah. or a bad breakup uh. and going on to the next person to find a way to love this person or find love again. So just realize like there's always love there and take confidence in that and take empathy in that with other people and yourself. Yeah. Is that the advice, same advice you'd give to yourself, your younger self? I remind myself every day and I think everyone should. Mm, Wow. Well, thank you so much, Derek. It was an absolute joy to have you. It was great having me too. (laughs) 
<laughs> I, I adore you. You know that. So oh, thank it's you. been a great time. Thank you. Thank you. And how can everyone reach out to you? How can they find you? I think the best really source is Instagram. Yeah. Find me on findyourfearless.com or Instagram. <laughs> At <laughs> findyourfearless. Yes. Yes. Reach out to Derek and take a look at his posts. And yeah, if you also want to get in touch with me, you can reach out to my Instagram at Steven Wakabayashi. And if you enjoyed this, please leave a rating and review. It takes a few seconds. If you have a few minutes, please leave me a comment. It helps other people find this podcast and our conversation here as well. And with that, so much love for you and hope your day can be a little bit more mindful with a little dose of Steven and Derek for you today. <laughs> Yay. Yay. <laughs> okay. Bye now. Bye. Bye. Bye.